Welcome to Journey Elgin of Elgin, Texas, where we are living life in Christ, impacting his kingdom. Our service times are Sunday at 9 a.m., followed by a second service at 1045 a.m. Today's message is King of Kings. His Pastor Philip Thomas. All right. So I, uh, I, I was kind of laughing and things about the royal wedding. But the reality is, is the, the royal wedding, the royal family, the, the monarchy has always been something that has fascinated people. Um, I can remember when, um, in, and I was out of high school, I established that uh, in the early service. So I think Princess Diana died in like 97. Someone said a, a, a date. Uh, that, that was not one of those dates that I remember where I was, but a lot of people do. Like it was, I remember what a huge thing that was when Princess Diana was killed in the car wreck. And then all of a sudden, people became obsessed with it, right? And, and there were all these different conspiracy theories. I actually listened to a podcast the other day uh, talking about some of the different conspiracy theories around uh, that, and many of them have been debunked now. But, but it, it's, it was amazing how many people just were captivated by that. And, uh, and you know, you, you read about not only was it crazy here, but it crazy over there. Um, you know, and, and looking at Prince Charles and her relationship. And then, and then, of course, you know, there's always the affairs that are going on. And sometimes we kind of gloss over all of that. But, uh, but we, we are fascinated with it. Uh, you look at the royal wedding. I mean, uh, I think they said it, it's going to be over $20 million that's going to be spent on it. Now, most of that is for security um, and a lot of things. But, but just like her dress and the flowers... And, you know, some of just the basic things that, that you would have. You, most of y'all probably don't hire a security team at your weddings. But, but it, so even without all of that, it was well over a million dollars just for those basic things. Craziness, right? Um, the British Secret Service has actually has identified, they have names and faces of, of over 160 people who they consider royal family stalkers. Right? So that they have evidence that these, that these people are, are a little bit crazy. That, that's a lot of people, right? 160 that they actually know of. So if they know of 160, imagine how many more there are, right? And it's, it's just fascinating to me for, to kind of step back and say, why is that? Why are people so fascinated? And not everyone, right? There's, we can't always make a blanket statement. You may be saying, you know, I, I could care less. But society in general and as a whole throughout history has been fascinated with the monarchies. And they've been fascinated with the kings. And they have shown ridiculous love towards a king. Like, that's one of the interesting things about this one. This is a monarchy that has no real power anymore right it's typically basically symbolic it's amazing how much love and emotional energy people spend on them whether positive or negative isn't that interesting of all the things that we can spend our emotional energy on we we think about a royal family but that's been the case throughout history people have always focused on kings and the monarchies 
and, and they, they hope that they're going to get something out of it, you know, and that the king is going to be benevolent to them. And so I want to look at that today. I want to look at our fascination with kings. And so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to show a video. And I have to say, I'm going to show, if I didn't lose credibility with some by talking about the fact that I like the greatest showman, I may lose some of you uh, with this. I, I love history. And, uh, and we're going to watch a little video. And, and I will say, I, when we watched it this morning, it starts off, it's, it's like, oh, man, this is going to be really captivating. And then the guy starts talking, and you're like, oh, this is just a history lesson. But, so, but, but I, I love this stuff. But I, we're going to see he's going to be talking about some kings, some different rulers throughout history. And I just want you to kind of pay attention to some of the similarities you think, see, some of the themes that come out as they talk about these uh, kings from history. The greatest historical rulers of all time. Five, Alexander the Great. Known as the man who conquered the world, Alexander the Great is often said to be the greatest military leader of all time. He was born in 356 BC, and by the age of 33, he had the largest empire in history, which stretched from Greece to Egypt to India. He was the king of the kingdom of Macedonia, and perhaps he was the greatest military commander to have ever lived. He did the noble deed of unifying many Greek city-states, he was undefeated in battle and succumbed to malaria and died in 323 BC. His fortes were his foresight, vision, and military capabilities. 4. Charlemagne Charles the Great, King of the Franks, ruled a European empire based mainly around France, Germany, and parts of Italy from 768 to his death. Although he couldn't write, he spoke Teutonic, Latin, and Greek. He was 6 feet 4 inches, a monstrous height for the period, which has since been confirmed by measurements of his skeleton. From his capital of Aachen in modern-day Germany, he went on to fight 53 campaigns, most of which he led himself. He died aged 72 from a fever. 3. Peter the Great Peter I was known as Peter the Great. He ruled the Russian country from 1682 to 1725, this great emperor dragged Russia from its medieval period and led to modernization of the country. He centralized the government, modernized the army, and also created a navy. He created a whole new Russian empire. Peter had to share his throne with his elder brother and sister for some duration. However, after 1696, he became the sole ruler of the country. The powerful attributes of Peter can be told by knowing his physical presence. He was seven feet tall and very broad, loud-mouthed, violent, and ruthless. 2. Caesar Caesar, also known as Augustus, became the first emperor of the Roman Empire and ruled from 27 BC until his assassination in 14 AD. He also reformed the taxation process. His reign is known as Pax Romana, or Roman peace, because during his reign, diplomacy flourished. Caesar managed to acquire total power, but he didn't have to use any false promises and lies like the rulers before him. 1. Genghis Khan Genghis Khan is the most brutal emperor in the history of the world. 
He was the founder of the most contiguous empire of the world, i.e. the Mongol Empire. He made an army by himself by uniting some nomadic tribes and training them. He conquered most of the world during his prime and united many nomadic tribes in Asia. Genghis Khan paved the way for his grandson Kublai to become emperor of a united China and founder of the Yuan dynasty. In all, Genghis conquered almost four times the lands of Alexander the Great. He's still revered in Mongolia and in parts of China. It's really impressive that they had an HD picture of Genghis Khan from back then. <laughs> Man, they were very advanced. But hey, no, so as I'm watching that, there's, there's some themes that come through. And, and it's really fascinating what we do with, with kings. But some of the things that jump out to me, whenever we're looking at kings, there's some characteristics that they, that they have. One is there's a strength to them. Sometimes it's seen in their physical attributes. You know, a couple of those were very clear. Uh, one, one of the guys was 6'4", which would have been very tall at that time. The other was 7 foot tall. But they have these physical attributes and, and just this, they embody strength of the day. Alexander the Great was out there fighting. You know, it, it is kind of amazing to think about that. Can you imagine today, like, our, our president, like, out leading the, the charge? You know, but that's, that's the kings of that day of, throughout history. That's what they did. And, uh, and again, it's so important for us to remember kings and monarchies that has been the predominant way that the world has been governed and nations have been governed throughout history. You know, we, we are so blessed to be in this country and we sometimes just take it for granted. But we need to realize that whenever the United States was started, that was something radical. It was something that had really never been done before. Before this, it had been some form of king of monarchy. Right Now, I know there's a little bit of changes in there. Rome, you see a little bit of it, but then you even see Caesar came to power, right? So you've always had this throughout history. And people have always just been drawn to kings. And one of the things they're drawn to is they're drawn to this strength of, of the, the king. Nearly all kings were physically strong, but they were just presented strength that people wanted and that people were looking for. They also, in, similar to this, they had power real power, power over life and death, right? A king could, with the snap of a finger, could take life or give life. A king, all of these kings, what did they do? They conquered. They exerted their power over other people, right? And so the people were fascinated, and they were like, oh, man, that's awesome. And, and a lot of times people put themselves in that position, right? Oh, wouldn't I like to have that kind of power? And of course, all of us would say, yeah, <laughs> it'd be nice, right? It'd be nice to have that kind of power. Kings have wealth, which translates into security, right? They, they had enough money to handle problems, right? And most people look at that, and we do that today, so it's not that hard of a leap for us, but we look and we say, man, wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of resources so that no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. Now, all these are fictitious things, but this is why we're fascinated with kings, right? Then we see that kings, they have this autonomy about them. They have this freedom. 
that they can do what they want. And don't we all kind of want that, right? That we could literally do whatever we wanted. Which would mean if we wanted to work at a job, we could. But if we didn't, we didn't have to. We could do anything. We could have that total and complete freedom. Kings represented that. And so what people have done is that they'll, they see kings and they love all of those aspects. And they realize, okay, uh, I'm not going to be able to be him, but maybe that person, that king, that monarch will provide me all of that stuff. Right? That, that that person will give me at least some strength. I'll have some power. I'll have some freedom. You know, and so, so maybe this king will be the one who does it. And we've always been fascinated with kings. But here's the reality. The reality of kings is that nearly across the board throughout history, they ultimately, they thirst for power. And there is never enough power. Never. Alexander the Great... There was never enough power. He, he started off uh, in Italy area, Macedonia, I, I'm gonna, you know, kind of the main European area, and starts conquering all the way to Babylon, so in present-day Iraq. He destroyed the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire had been there for thousands of years. The Persian Empire is a biblical empire. You remember King uh, Daniel in Lion's Den. That was the Persian kingdom. That was a real kingdom. It was one of the most powerful kingdoms ever. And it was one of the most prosperous. Babylon was so technologically advanced that civilization became destroyed. And Alexander the Great, if he would have probably been content there, he probably wouldn't have died. Now, it says malaria. Many people think he probably was poisoned. We don't really know for sure. But he kept going, right? He was like, no, I've got to go farther. He was trying to get all the way to India, right? And, uh, and so there was never enough power, right? And the problem is, is in order for kings to get more power, they have to use people to do it. Kings always thirst for wealth. There's never enough wealth. How is the only way to accumulate wealth? It's to get more people to support you one way or the other. And if they won't do it willingly, then you make them do it. So those things work together as they thirst for more power, for more wealth. Eventually, the normal person pays the price. Kings always, throughout history, at one point or another, get to that place where they manipulate their people in order to get what they want. But yet, we are fascinated with them. We started talking about the royal family. If you just look at the monarchs of England, right? Some crazy stuff. And guess who never benefited? The people, right? So why do we do this? Why do we still want to follow kings? Why do we still want to do that? Well, it's because we know that we need someone to provide for us and to provide our security. We know that we can't do things on our own. Right? It's like we were made that way. Right? Because we know that. People, we inherently know that, you know what? I can't do everything on my own. I need somebody's help. 
And so the world created a system where it said, well, let's get the biggest and the best and the brightest and the most powerful, and that person will provide that security for you. And so people were like, all right, sign me up. That guy's seven foot tall, and he can take somebody's head off with a single wield of a sword. I want to be on his side, right? And so we say, all right, we know that they may manipulate us, they may use us, but I'd rather be on their side than on the other side. We also, we know that we need purpose. And kings would give their people purpose. Now, it would be warped many times, but that's one thing that kings would do. That's how they would gain power, is they would give people purpose. You look at Genghis Khan. He's fascinating. Right? Genghis Khan felt and started selling to his people as he kind of united some of these nomadic tribes. And uh, uh, he started saying, you know what? God has called me, and his vision for me is to conquer the world. This is God's plan for me. And he started selling that to his people, and they bought in. And all of a sudden, it became their purpose. You look at the Mongolian Empire, and people, I know we live in a very short-sighted. This was less than about 1,000 years ago. That historically is not that long. This little tribe of nomads conquered all of China, then conquered all of Russia. Historically, that never happens, right? Conquered them with relatively small armies, conquered down in the Middle East, right? This is huge, right? We live in a small world. This was a huge world back then. Then they decided, you know what, we're going to check out these Europeans, defeated the largest army, and this would have been in the time of the Crusades, right? The largest army that the European continent had ever put together, the Mongolian Empire wiped out with just a regular force that they had. The only reason that they didn't make it all the way to England is because the Khan died, and they had to figure it out, and they're like, ah, we got to go back. Like literally the course of history could have been changed because they did such a great job. They gave purpose to their people. And here's what's, what's crazy about that is we talk about that. And even that video talked kind of just in nice terms, right? Because many people will attribute Genghis Khan with opening up and helping the West to meet the East, right? And opening up trade routes. And they did. Did you know that there's estimates of up to 20 million people were killed by the Mongolian Empire. 20 million. And this isn't with bombs and things. This is with swords and arrows. Right? It's amazing what we'll do, and, and we'll focus on these aspects of kings. Julius Caesar, they talked about that uh, you know, it was a peaceful time for Rome. Do you know how many people Julius Caesar wiped out in order to gain enough power to take over Rome? Yeah, he, there was peace when he was there. Ask the families of all those people that he murdered how they appreciated that peace. Right? Isn't it amazing, though? Because we are so focused on, on these kings that we'll, we'll just focus on, oh, well, they did this, yeah, 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 that was a shame 20 million people died, but they were going to die anyway, right? They weren't going to be around today, Right? And we, all of a sudden, we're like, what are we doing? We, we, we desire to have that figure that we can look up to, that we think that can provide us security. 
that we think can be an example for us and give us purpose. We all desire that and we cannot get rid of that desire. And so often it gets placed on what the world says needs to be there. And you know what? We do it today. We do it today. It's changed. We don't have the same type. But, you know, I would make the case that the the last two presidents that we have, our current and the previous one, is we've started viewing them as kings and nearly treating them that way. That we're treating them as having way more power than they do. And so we get either really upset or really happy, right, depending on which side you're on. That is very unhealthy, right? Sometimes we treat our culture as our king. We're looking at our culture or maybe our governmental system, our way of life is that that's going to give us reason to live of how we can live. It's going to provide our security for us. It's going to provide our purpose for us. Sometimes we look at our family and our job. They kind of take that role, right? This is where I'm going to find my purpose is in my job, in my family. This is what I'm going to hold on to, right? problem is, is that's never going to work. I want you to, and kind of to, to make the point of why it's hard for us and why we naturally start looking at human creations as kings. One of my favorite kings who is mythical, uh, but yet kind of there's some, some historical truth to him is King Arthur, right? Who, who, uh, have you all seen the sword and the stone, the Disney movie, Sword and the Stone, right? I'm sure that was very historically accurate. And, uh, and, but, but I've always loved King Arthur. So I want you to picture King Arthur. If you had to describe King Arthur, how you would start describing him. Well, I would start off and I would say, oh, it's this, uh, it would have to be a physically imposing uh, individual. Kind of a, the middle linebacker of the medieval times, right? Probably 6'2", 230, just chiseled. And then he would, he would walk into a room in his armor, and his armor would be shining brightly. And it would be one of those people when they walk into a room, everyone looks and sees them. But see, King Arthur, he was also a good king. Right? He, he cared about his people, so I, I can picture him that he in the round table, right, to include everyone in the conversation. So he, he, he shows that he does care. And so he brings in all his knights. And then I have this picture of him fighting off the evil oppressor. You know, and that the, the, the people, his, the, the peasants that are just there to, to living their life and they're being attacked by an evil outside force. And there King Arthur is not just sending his knights, but leading his knights. Right? And there's just wonderful image and pictures. And, and I just think of all the, the flowing colors and the accolades that he gets. And, and just, uh, you know, the, and he's a good king, right? And he's doing it the right way. You know, one thing that I never, ever picture whenever I think of King Arthur is him on a cross. One of the reasons it's really hard for us to look at Jesus as the king What king goes to the cross and goes willingly to the cross? What king doesn't do what they can to conquer the world? What king doesn't use its power 
to gain wealth and privilege. Well, the one true king does. That's why it's hard for us sometimes to allow Jesus to be our king because he doesn't fit our worldly perspective of what a king is supposed to be. But the reason that he is king of kings and lord of lords is because he did go to the cross. Because he truly does care about you. And he cares about everyone. And he's not going to sacrifice 20 million people in order to advance his kingdom. No, his kingdom is going to be shed and going to be spread by his sacrifice. The sacrifice of his life, not the sacrifice of the lives of those who he loves. That's why he's the king of kings. That's why he's the Lord of lords. And, you know, we've got to get to the place where we see Jesus as that all-powerful, loving king of our lives. So that we're not looking to find our purpose, to find our security, to find our power, to find our example in the worldly kings, but that we look to the king who went to the cross, the king who allowed his life to be sacrificed for ours. But if you would like to have an aspect of a king that is powerful, an aspect of the king... (laughs) that will make everything right and put everything in its place. Jesus is that king also. Revelation chapter 19, starting verse 11, says this, talking about Jesus. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You want to serve a powerful king? Don't look to the royal family. Don't look to any earthly king. The king of kings came to earth and went to the cross and overcame sin and death for you so that you could live a new life in him, a life fit for a king because of what he has done for you. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. We need to start looking towards him. I don't care about how our government rules. I don't care about how a monarchy rules. I don't care about the power structures that this world says we need. I care about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that is who I'm going to live my, and turn my allegiance to. That is who I will give my life for, is the one who has given his life for me. Let's pray together.
Dear God, I thank you. I thank you that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, I pray that we will live our lives that way. That we will know that you are our king. That we will not search for kings of this world because they will fail us. Help us to search for you. For you are our king. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Elgin. Come check us out. We're located at 1221 North Avenue C, Elgin, Texas 78621. You can contact us at www.journeyelgin.org or call us at 512-661-8411. That's 512-661-8411. We hope to see you soon and may God bless you.